Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Kinks and Beats Daily. I am Tony, your host. I'm glad you're joining us today. Happy Monday to you. Today, we are talking about one of my all-time favorite Beatles songs, a legendary Beatles song among fans, and arguably one of the most perfect songs ever written. That's right. We're talking about Andrew Bird Can Sing. Uh, If you don't know this song, go listen to it. I'll wait. It's fine. If you do know this song, it's probably among your favorite Beatles tracks. It is perfect in every way, and it's a sound that has been emulated for decades since. It was released on August 5th, 1966 on the Revolver album in the United Kingdom. And actually, America got it earlier on June 20th, 1966 on the album Yesterday and Today. Revolver was actually the last album to get chopped up by the American uh, Capitol Records in America. By the the next album, of course, is Sgt. Pepper and even Capitol, who has already butchered several classic, iconic, wonderful albums, was smart enough to not tamper with uh, Sgt. Pepper. But Revolver is tampered with. And there ha- there were other albums compiled for the American uh, public that weren't issued in the United Kingdom. Hey Jude, for example, which would come out, I believe, in 69 or 70. But um, Revolver is the last British album that, that was not released in the United States as is. So America got it early on an inferior album. I mean, inferior is subjective, but whatever. It is a mostly a John Lennon joint. Paul claims it's an 80-20 split. Um, in his defense of his contribution to it, songwriting-wise, not musically, but songwriting-wise, he said that John often would come in with like a verse and a chorus, and then it would be up to the band, namely Paul usually, to help him finish out the other verses or the bridge or whatever. I don't know how true that is with this one. It sounds like Paul might be um, connecting some dots retroactively, but regardless, Paul's contribution on this uh, on this record is immeasurable. First off, he delivers one of the coolest bass lines in the Beatles catalog. It's just an awesome bass line. And secondly, he plays dual lead guitar with George. And for a long time, I wanted to deny that this was the case. Uh, I wanted. I wanted to believe that George played this uh, with double stops, not even overdubbing, but that he played it with double stops. Because you can listen to it, and Paul and George's phrasing, despite being incredibly different guitar players stylistically, their phrasing is virtually identical in this. Um, there are a couple little inflections where I can I can pick out which part is George's and Paul's, but for the most part, their phrasing is as if it's one guitar player, if not one guitar. Um, and that's very uncommon for those two because, the, like I said, they are very distinctly different. I mean, listen to the solo in Let It Be, which we talked about before, uh, which is George playing, and then listen to the solo on Taxman, which is Paul playing the solo. Both are solid solos, but they are very, very different. And, uh, and their whole touch, or listen to their, their guitar playing on the end off of Abbey Road, if you know which solos are whose, um, you hear a very, very distinct difference between Paul and George's styles. But alas, 
they are playing dual guitars on this because it is virtually impossible to play this on one guitar as written. You can cheat some things and you can and you can make some little adjustments to the melody, but it's very difficult. So the song's in E. Pretty uh, common chord progression. It was written in D. And if you listen to the anthology version, um, they're playing it in D on that version. It's the track that Paul and John, when they're doing the vocals, something's making them giggle in the studio and they break down laughing through the entire thing. Um, And that's also confirmation that there are two guitars playing the solo because during the solo, so they didn't do the intro and outro with the guitar solo, but there is a variation of the may of the finalized guitar solo in that anthology version. And you can hear one part breaks down and just drops out completely. Um, so that's, you know, confirmation that there were two guitar players there, but they're playing it in D. And if you listen to them play it in D, um, it kind of has a bird's feel where they're doing the, Very, very folksy. I mean, it's still an up-tempo rocker, but it's a little bit folksier and, and if it's even possible, more jangly than the final version. Um, for the revolver cut, they took it up a whole step to E. Uh, John, on his rhythm guitar part, just put a capo on the second fret and he still played it in D, which is cool because you get all these open chord sounds on that uh, uh Epiphone Casino that he was playing and it sounds to me like he's playing it closer to the bridge down here instead of more towards the middle of the guitar because he's got a real the tone on the rhythm guitar on this I have been chasing that tone as long as I've been playing guitar and I own a casino and I can't get that tone it's I just love the sound of that guitar on this recording just that and he's just doing quarter notes it's a very straight ahead uh, rhythm guitar part, especially for John, who was a very, very good rhythm guitar player and, and very inventive to just, just four on the floor, you know, just strum the chords. Uh, the chord structure is pretty simple. It's a one chord uh, to a two chord to a four chord back to one. And then for the um, vert or the chorus or the bridge or whatever you want to call it, because again, not much of a bridge or a chorus on this. He is on a three chord, which is a minor chord, and then he drops the root. Uh, so what you're doing is like you're on a G sharp chord, and then he does a G sharp major seven, but he puts the major seven on the bottom. So you're going. And then a G sharp um, minor seven. So he's got this little chromatic movement there that's highlighted by more dueling guitar parts. Um, doing not straight arpeggios, which would just be like the. But they're doing a very similar, like it's a. So it's a, I don't have the music in front of me right now, but it's not straight ahead arpeggios and then the guitars are harmonized throughout every time they make an appearance they're harmonized in diatonic thirds which means so you have uh major thirds minor thirds right and a diatonic third means that it follows the scale 
All right. So some of the intervals are minor, some of them are major, depending on what note they fall on the scale. Because in in the key of E, you've got four sharps, and so you need, you know, if you're playing a G, um, if you're playing an E, and I'm harmonizing in thirds, diatonically, I'm going to harmonize with the G sharp, which is a major third. Okay, and then if I slide up to F sharp, I'm going to harmonize with an A, which is a minor third. So it all depends on where it falls on the scale, which gives this a very, this is one of their most tonally centered songs that we've talked about so far. It is very much in the key of E. They are very much using an E major scale for the solo. And if you want to play it on your own, they base it off the E chord, not down at the bottom, but um, off of the seventh fret, where you've got the A shape. So all of that I played in seventh position. And then you got to slide up to uh, tenth position for that little part. But most of it you can play in seventh position, very effortlessly. And the um, the the single thing that leads me to believe that George is on the higher guitar part, um, which would be your lead part anyway. So I mean, just by the nature of his role in the band, he should be on that part. But he plays the the they both play a low open E for their starting note. Then Paul jumps up an octave, and George jumps up an octave plus a third to the G sharp. But he doesn't play it where it should be played. He plays it on the seventh fret of the second string, um, bent, and then releases down to the F sharp. It's the same thing he did with something, where he hits the note and then it bends down to the next note. So he starts on a bent string instead of starting on a straight string and bending up. He starts on a bent string and releases it to, to, to bend down. And that's something that George would do a lot. It's something that Paul does not do a lot, and he doesn't do it on this song. He just plays it, uh, the two parts fretted. So he plays one note, and then he goes down to the next note, like I just did on the acoustic. So if you're looking for something to defend your view that George is playing the high guitar part, that would be my suggestion to you. The song clocks in at two minutes exactly, which is crazy because this song has it all. It's got guitar solos. It's got, you know, verses and bridges and all that kind of stuff. Um, 45 seconds of this two-minute song are devoted to the guitar part exclusively. That doesn't include the uh, – little arpeggiated stuff that is going on underneath John's vocals on the, you know, you may be awoken, I'll be around. That part, I'm not including that. I'm talking about just all we hear is guitar, 45 seconds of a two-minute song. So this is one of their most guitar-driven, extended-out songs. It is very influential among uh artists who would do like Baroque pop kind of stuff because it's so tonally centered. It has some of the most beautiful harmonies the Beatles ever recorded. And I hope if you're listening, Apple, and I know you are because you're just 
hoping that I play uh, uh, an official release so that you can sue me, I'm sure. If you're listening, please do a remix of Revolver like you have for the three latter um, Beatles albums. Because I want to hear this with modern mixing and maybe separating those guitars if possible and giving me a better spread on the background vocals. This song um, sounds perfect as it is, but a remix would make it even better. Two minutes. Uh, John dismissed it later, as he did with a lot of his songs. He says it's fancy paper around an empty box. That might be true. This might be a throwaway John tune that he threw together in 20 minutes and that they recorded fairly quickly in the uh, studio. But that goes to show you that even John's garbage ranks among the best music uh, composed in the rock and roll era. Mojo Magazine says it's 41st on 101 Greatest Beatles Songs, and Guitar World ranked at number 69 out of 100 Greatest Guitar Solos of All Time. So that's some high praise. The Jam in 1980 recorded a demo of it. Now, to me, Revolver sounds... The, the, the Jam, particularly on the album Sound Effects, which came out in 1980, they sound like if the Beatles sound would have stopped developing at 1966 and they kept recording but their sound stopped evolving at 1966 they eventually would have become the jam paul weller is a noted fan of the kinks and beatles if there's one famous person that actually might be listening to this uh, podcast it's paul weller because he's a huge fan of both bands and they are clearly clearly influenced by the sounds of 1966 because during this album um, uh, sound effects, which came out, like I said, in 1980, they recorded a demo of dead end street by the kinks, which came out in 1966 rain by the Beatles, which came out in 1966 Waterloo sunset, which actually came out in 1967, um, uh, a version of Andrew bird can sing, which came out in 66 and for their song start, they basically stole the baseline for tax man, uh, which they acknowledge. This is not, I'm not calling them out on this. Um, which came out in 1966. So this song, Andrew Bird Can Sing, is straight up. If you like uh, jangly guitars, which the jam were a jangly guitar band, this is all the influence you need right here. So go and listen to it. Listen to it over and over and over again. It's two minutes long. You can repeat it a few times. It is pop perfection. It's up-tempo. It's happy. I didn't even talk about the subject matter, um, which there's some debate about. Uh, some people, and I actually think this sounds kind of more in line with, this is where I think the lyrics belong. Some people have speculated that it's actually about, it's a song to Mick Jagger. Um, because, you know, they were friendly, but they were still rivals on the charts and, and sales wise. And the bird in question, he was dating Marianne Faithful at the time. So that's the bird and your bird can sing, right? Um and it's kind of a middle finger to Mick Jagger where he's like, you say you've got all this stuff, but you're not John Lennon. You know, it's like no matter how good the Rolling Stones are, they're not the Beatles. And so I like to think of it like that because I like having musical rivalry songs and, and things of that nature. But there are other interpretations about what these words mean. If it's such a throwaway song for John, if he's so dismissive of it. That kind of leads me to believe that it was a middle finger at Mick Jagger because he was later dismissive of How Do You Sleep, which was a clear middle finger to Paul. And then he dismissed it 
you know, with, uh, oh, that was really about me. No, it wasn't, John. You're not fooling anybody. So go listen to it on Revolver. Listen to the anthology version. It's fun to hear them break down in the studio, but it's also cool to hear how the song evolved between those early takes and the final release. And um, yeah, Apple, again, remix this, please. Giles Martin, get going on Revolver. Tomorrow, what are we listening to tomorrow? Tomorrow, uh, while I look this up, make sure you swing by iTunes. Give us a review and a rating, please. If you'd like to be included on this podcast, give me a call, 925 uh, 494-1739. Leave your name, where you're from, and talk about a song by either band that you love or you don't like. Tomorrow, we are talking about a song by the Kinks that was famously copied by Electric Light Orchestra. All right. I will talk to you tomorrow. Swing by herohabit.com for more Kinks and Beats stuff, and uh, have a great day. This podcast is presented by the Hero Habit Podcast Network. Swing by HeroHabit.com today to comment on this episode and poke around our growing database of sports and pop culture news, reviews, and collectibles. HeroHabit.com. Collect your heroes.